Perfect. Okay. That was just a little bit of a hiccup, but it's all right. That's all good. <laughs> you know what? We, story of our life. That's kind of the way that, that we roll. But anyway, awesome. Just had an all hands company meeting. Um, and my husband, also the CEO, was like, you know what? I actually don't know how this chat, Zoom chat works. Like, I don't know how I am. At I am a technology CEO where like I have no idea how to use this particular technology. Yeah, it's pretty great. We have like, um, we have Zoom, we have you know, Hangouts, we have GoToMeeting, like I, um, Telegram, you know, WeChat. There's so many ways to contact um, that it's actually, it's, it's a bit crazy, but cool. Let's get started. And you guys have been right. super patient and I'm, I'm happy to talk with you. All right, cool. Well, let's get started. Recording is on, right? Like, welcome to the Hackanoon podcast. My name is Lingdao Smoke, and I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Hackanoon. And I also have Atsap Jaiswal, who's our newly elected Vice President of Business Development and our in house blockchain expert. Um, so, welcome. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, two very, very special guests joining us. Um, Alexandra Tinsman, that's the savior of the NAN Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> she is the president and she be began her role as the president in January of 2019 um, after being elected by the community and is one of only 9% of female executives um, in the information technology space, which I very much can relate to. Um, and we also have NAMS. Chief Technology Officer, Nate D'Amico, uh, who's been in position for a couple of months now, but he's been involved with NEM Foundation for about three years. So without further ado, welcome, Alex. Welcome, Nate. Thanks. Uh, it's so exciting to chat with everyone today and talk about what we're doing and where we came from. I don't know about Savior, um, but <laughs> I would say that this space is pretty exciting and uh, it's really nice to see more people um yeah and more everyday people really embracing the technology so i think it speaks uh speaks volumes to um how we're progressing when you see more diversity in leadership right absolutely um so to the hackanoon audience out there could you uh, alex and nate share a little bit about yourself your background um yeah, I'm. Um, I'll start and then um, pass pass the mic over to to Nate. So I have 20 years experience in uh, leadership and in gaming, um, ranging from marketing to community to management. Um, I started originally managing um, marketing. Uh, platforms for online digital assets. So I'm a game designer. Um, a lot of what I, I managed before was um, working on League of Legends and Xbox Marketplace and uh, Pokemon and Magic. I was the brand manager for Magic the Gathering. So my whole world has always been about managing online assets. So moving over into the cryptocurrency and blockchain space uh, was pretty, you know, pretty familiar for me. And I think what attracted me most is that um, it had such uh, such an opportunity to disrupt um, technology in such a meaningful way. And so I've been with NEM for about three and a half, almost, uh, maybe three and a half, four years, um, but in this role as uh, leading the foundation just in the past year. So, cool. 
What about you, Nate? So yeah, uh, uh, my name is Nate Diomiko, and um, similar to Alex, I've been uh, working in the uh, presumably like solely in the enterprise space. A little bit of mobile, but mostly just back-end enterprise software since about 2000. Um, by trade was you know CS math undergrad, and then um, just being an engineer for a few years. Um, and then uh, right around 04, with the kind of advent of the kind of commercial open source space, I've been working heavily in that space since then, pretty much. So um, uh, things ranging from CRM and back office to uh, kind of moving into cloud and data center automation stuff. Um, and then the last, uh, that's kind of like the first decade. And then the last decade has really been around uh, a range of distributed systems. So. Um, you're familiar with like the big data movement in the enterprise and things like Apache Hadoop and uh, Apache Spark and the like. Um, working with a lot of uh, around those projects and working in the Apache Foundation. And um, that kind of, I guess, was a good seed between data center management stuff and distributed systems. That kind of piqued my interest. Um, and blockchain is distributed ledgers uh, is kind of like a natural extension of that since it is kind of just like a, a new form of database and way distributed systems will interact. So that kind of planted the seed. Um, and while I was working on some other areas, uh, just through some uh, friends and interested connections, they kind of like, you know, introduced and pulled me into the space. That's how I kind of got introduced. And uh, it's kind of just like with a lot of people, um, you're kind of either in or out. Once you get into it, if you like it, you kind of go deeper in the, in the crypto and ledger space. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of my background and origin into this project. Yeah, I think it's pretty uh, exciting um, to to have a mix of talent, like having Nate, um, and we have such a, a, a big team, um, and we're all working and, and doing amazing things uh, in this space. So um, it's, it's really nice to, to meet and chat with everyone. Okay, so my first question for both of you, and this might be a big one, but I really want to ask this question for anyone who is in the blockchain and crypto space. Um, what do you think is holding cryptocurrencies back from getting, getting broader adoption? Uh, so for background in America, only 8% of, of the current population owns um, digital currency. And compare that to, for example, gun ownership, which is currently around 32%. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, okay, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, okay. no, go ahead, go ahead. You can start. So, like the first two things that kind of pop in my head with that question, uh, especially, I'm, so I'm based in San Francisco Bay Area. So therefore, obviously, the United States have a certain perspective is um, first, United States typically, even though we're producing, uh, especially here in Silicon Valley, we're producing a lot of the core tech that is adopted in the world. Um, you know, we're not the, uh, while we're the originators in certain key parts of tech that have existed and been launched over the last several decades, we're not the originators of the blockchain space, but key contributors. But on the flip side, um, these key tech areas, <laughs> while we're originating a lot of it, we're also, we're not the leading adopters of it. So like, if you look at just bandwidth and pure wireless connectivity, um, I can get as good or better 4G signal in my wife's family remote village in Greece as I can in Palo Alto, right? Which is in the heart of Silicon Valley, right? So that's kind of like an extreme example. 
Um, but then I think coupled with that happens across a wide range of tech adoption here. Uh, so we're producing a lot, but we're also not the, on the cutting edge. And then on the flip side, the other thing is just a very key aspect is uh, unfortunately regulations and guidance around those regulations, especially when you look at it through, uh, there's the tech side in adoption. And then when you talk about digital assets and cryptocurrencies, there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of like underground adoption, but when the SEC's kind of the bellwether and, and the kind of leader in the space globally, as far as like G20 countries and how they're going to approach it, they've taken a very, uh, not even a heavy handed approach. It's a hands-off approach. So just by having a lack of guidance right. that it's not stopping people from adopting, but it's also, if you look at like where the volume of adoption is going to come from, you know, main street investors as they refer to them right. it is not a friendly environment right mm -hmm. so um while some of us are willing to do it like my parents you know there's the tech side um as well right but uh just so i think a little bit of time and pressure um not even loosening regulations just having some improved guidance on the ups and downsides um uh, changing some of the rules around uh, by buy something with Bitcoin with for hundred dollars, am I going to have, you know, taxes and gains and losses, right? Like guidance on that. And then uh, as an industry collectively, I think um, the last point I'd kind of make is user experience is not great across the board. Um, it's better than it was a year ago, which was better than it was four years ago. But um, an easy example is just look at like lightning network. It's an amazing like platform that should hopefully be building for the future. But um, you know, there's a lot of UX things to solve to like bring it to the masses. So that, that applies to Bitcoin, it applies to us, it applies to everyone in the space. So that's that's kind of like kind of a couple of key areas I see um, holding back the states at least and, and the space in general. Yeah, regulations are um, have been tricky and they're constantly changing. So right when you think you know um, the, the way to navigate things, it changes, right? So having compliance and uh, working through the legalities and then you know just to touch on kind of what Nate was saying it's also about user experience right so we have use cases that are building but uh, that that we've been building and working with partners like the Crow Nation tribe uh, ran a pilot um, using a sovereign uh, e-government uh, for sovereign e-governance using basically a mobile app that was built out on um, NEM that had the wallet had identity, had a voting tool, had land registry, all of this. And uh, it was pretty interesting to see the, um, the Crow tribe interact, um, people from all different age groups piloting. Uh, they didn't know it was blockchain, they just knew it was an app. And um, just the, the pain points around um, getting people to understand their own identity and uh, how how that works in this space, you know, how, how they can protect their, their information. So I think it's kind of interesting. It's, it's a mix of regulations. It's a mix of is the technology ready. It's a mix of how it's being used. It's a mix of, you know, uh, what's available um, in your region. So we're both in the United States. Regulations play a huge part. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned NEM. Um, NAM has had such an interesting history in the crypto space. I mean, for the audience who you know don't know, it was founded by a Bitcoin top user and is completely written in in JavaScript. So, do you have any like interesting tidbits that you want to like 
dive a little bit more deep, deeper into like the company's history and origin. So like we understand a little bit more about, you know, the foundation. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, um, so NEM was designed with the idea that it was to be you know, a really community oriented cryptocurrency, right? So it started back in 2014, like you said on Bitcoin Talk. And um, I think the alpha version uh, was released back in, I think it was in June of 2014. So, I mean, it's been around, it's one of the, the you know, the more um, OG. Try OG and try it and trust it, uh, try it, try it and, uh, tr you know, trusted coins. Um, I think it's, it's pretty interesting to me. The foundation um, is only a couple of years old, so it's had a pretty interesting uh, history too, but um, you know, NEM in general had you know, the roots of the technology came from the idea of financial freedom and you know, uh, you know, equality for everyone, and you still see the roots of that today. Um, as far as the history, it has it's been pretty interesting to see where we've come from uh, being a conversation on Bitcoin Talk to being a top, you know, top 20 coin, to having um, highs and lows uh, in the industry around you know, everything from um, bear market, the impact of a bear market to um, even NEM overcoming, being uh, you know, lumped in with um, a, a a hack of a you know exchange that kind of crippled the industry and changed the way that uh, Japanese regulations occurred. And um, but the I think what's pretty interesting about the trajectory with the path for the NIM platform is that it it was so forward thinking with the security features that were in place that um, it has always overcome and and remained even when all these other coins and platforms kind of you know went away. Um, so I, uh, I think, I think it has a bright future with the technology, um, the, the release of, we have a new release coming up called symbol from NEM and it's the next evolution of the NEM platform, but it, uh, platforms like NEM stick around because they're forward thinking with their features and their abilities. Right. So, um, it's pretty, pretty fascinating to see the history. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so you mentioned in your answer the kind of principle of community, like uh, equality, um, and you are elected by the community. Uh, yeah, like, by the community. Yeah. So our our community, you know, every couple of years has uh, nominated its leadership, and one of the things that we do is we do public elections um, on the public chain, so real time, so you can see. Um, you know the elections and process and it's you know very uh it's pretty exciting um but in general uh the past few years you know we've really seen um more enterprise leaders coming into the space folks like nate we have a new c-suite coming in all all elected and all very um uh very capable in bringing bringing the platform, you know, to life through the NIM Foundation. I don't know how many people actually know the difference between them and the NIM Foundation, though. They are separate. They're not the same. So the NIM Foundation is actually the, uh, um, the NIM Foundation is responsible for you know, education and creating tools and, you know, um, 
helping with awareness and advocacy, but it, it's actually separate from the NEM platform itself, right? So there, okay. there, yeah, there's the NEM ecosystem, and then we're just one, you know, one, one part of of the ecosystem, right? Cool. I mean, personally, as a woman in the crypto tech, you know, information technology industry, yeah. it's incredibly interesting to me that you. Um, as of basically the base of uh, of NEM Foundation and one of nine percent, you know, women executives. So yeah, that how was, you, you know, how 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 do you feel about smashing that like boys club that is oh, the, the crypto world? <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of interesting. So I'd mentioned I'm from gaming. So one of uh, the backgrounds. So it's kind of fascinating to me because to me. Uh, I was intrigued by cryptocurrency and blockchain um, because it felt like a game to me, right? I, I originally came in as, as an investor. My husband and I have board game companies and worked in this um, gaming for a long time. We'd get our royalties from the projects that we worked on and put them into gold and silver and stock market. And just, you know, you just, you're, you're trying things out. Um, and then we uh, came across Bitcoin and Ethereum and began to look more into it and, you know, pretty, pretty comfortable with online communities and uh, especially gaming, uh, not, not my first time at this rodeo. So began to look into NEM and the community was so different than any community of other cryptocurrencies out there. And the more time I spent, the more intrigued I was. And having been on the forefront of technology and entertainment in my past job at Microsoft and Riot Games and, and Hasbro and, and seeing um, what happens when you combine technology with major brands, it was exciting to me because I could see the potential with NEM and I wanted to contribute. So like you said, I began to uh, create videos and content, be content creator, and then um, really just began to work my way up in this system and it's weird because i'm an outlier i don't look anything like what you would expect i don't even think it's about being female i think it's just who i am is uh, different than what you would normally typically see in the industry it's more folks like nate right it's more folks that <laughs> you know have long history and open source and they've you know uh they participate in a different way but for me um it was uh i want to be a part of this movement I believe in this movement. I want to be a part of change. Um, the only way to do that is to educate yourself. And the only way to educate yourself is to get dirty. Get dirty with the code, get dirty with um, the channels, understand, you know, get into the thick of it. And then it gets really exciting because um, it opens up the opportunity for I, blockchain and cryptocurrency, opens up the opportunity for anyone, anyone, no matter where you are, what your skill set is. Everyone has the same love, uh, playing field, right? Mm -hmm. Information, you can access information, jump right in immediately. And so um, I don't really think of it as a female thing. I think of it as this is an empowering tool that anyone and everyone can be a part of. Everything is accessible to you and you can build and be a part of it. So to me, it's not gender, it's about, a, it's a movement. And I wanted to be a part of that movement. And now I am and have been for a long time and will be. <laughs> Continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I can totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Nate, do you have any, I mean, you've seen a lot of, um, a lot of you know, 
folks come in and out, but I don't know. It seems like it's, it is opening up and has been opening up to diversity for a long time. I, I, uh, half of our leadership team is female. That's amazing to hear. Yeah, I mean, not I just because it's female. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, a lot of it's, you know, uh, heightened awareness the past, uh, let's say, four years. You know, mm -hmm. not just this industry, right? You take a culmination of uh, certain events in uh, the public eye and entertainment and things that have occurred in the Me Too movement. And mm -hmm. like, I think everyone's pretty aware that uh, certain industries, whether it's entertainment or technology, have certain, uh, you know, just... History, yeah, right, like blind spots and longevity with kind of behaviors and stuff. So I think that awareness is heightened, which is, you know, it's a starting point, right? Like this is kind of like the start of the conversation and the, and the movement, right? Like so, mm -hmm. um, and again, it's, it's pretty prevalent. Um, so actually, so I'm based in San Francisco, you know, just outside San Francisco. So a good example is California. Um, starting the new year, there's a, a new law that was passed that century uh, puts a restriction that uh, publicly traded companies have to have a female board member. And so that is kind of yet a next step. And there's dialogue about, well, should you do, you know, forced diversity on a company? And then, you know, the, the flip side is preventing the dynamic of, well, other countries have done it, such as Norway and Germany and stuff. So mm -hmm. anyways, I think uh, as much as it's skewed in the blockchain space, the blockchain space is a bubble within the bubble of the tech industry. Mm -hmm. And it uh, is prevalent kind of throughout it. And then other industries, it exists as well. So I think um, it's, uh, I think the movement's definitely good though. And the awareness is quite heightened. Yes. Um, uh, uh, especially in the past, like one to two years in the blockchain space, right? And so, it's so yeah, I think uh, that's true. The, um, another thing to think about, if I do have a layer of, of being female, right? There's um, one thing I've learned from leading the teams is to show up. And so what I mean by that is to use your voice and to educate yourself. And I, I have that with everyone, right? Um, it's not just enough to, to say, uh, you see a problem and you want to acknowledge it and you want to you know, work through it and you actually have to solve for it. And that means you have to you know, show up and be a part of it. So the females on the, the team um it's pretty interesting the voices that have emerged from them is even in the way that we talk about the brand and we see the brand um we promote the brand you know from banners there's a mix of men and women in in website banners right the language that's used in our contracts um is is gender friendly um we've been we've been really cognizant to make sure that uh, we're welcoming for all, but it's not just—it's it, not just a focus of gender. It's how can we go wider? Um, how can we expand? How can we create tools that can pull more people in, regardless of where they're at, uh, their gender, you know, their economic status? I mean, that's the beauty of blockchain and uh, cryptocurrencies is that um, anyone can kind of create a new future using the technology, and I think that's powerful, right? I think that's very powerful. Without risking putting you on a pedestal and you know diving even deeper into this female gender thing, like okay. I, I just really want to, uh, you know, point out to the fact that it's 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 great. It's great to have someone like you so assured of herself, uh, with incredible experience and background and diverse background to you know like bringing news pers perspective into 
kind of like a industry where you see a lot of people with like different background than you like you you bring some fresh new perspective to it yeah i guess my my question to it would be what would you say to aspiring female persons in tech and in crypto space who want to kind of move up and and just maybe look up to you you know as and as as someone who who they can aspire to be yeah i think there's uh, there's three things that i usually focus on one is to um be fearless right so you just nate has seen time and time again when i don't know if i don't know something i'll have to go and ask right or if i <laughs> need some help and i'm like I'm trying to set this up how do i do this i'm not doing this right like it's um failure to me and i've encompassed failure as as a lead of a blockchain company right it's a this is a bear market this is tough right i had um i had a huge when i came into office i had you know um 100 100 team members that you know i was responsible for um you have to be fearless and strategic about where you spend your time and focus the second thing I think about uh, for me is to know as a female is to know your worth, right? So um, I'm very cognizant also of what I bring to the table. And one thing about encompassing diversity is having an appreciation for all the different types of um, personalities that are on the team and, and that we work with and the kind that we want to recruit. So with Nate and with the rest of the team, um, I'm an empathetic leader. Everyone knows that. It's not because I'm female. It's because that's my personality. I'm I'm an empath, right? So that's that's how I am. Um, so everyone knows that. So we brought in a consultant to do basically uh, Harrison assessments. This is different than most maybe blockchain companies. They probably don't. They probably think this is like you know really touchy stuff. But we, I wanted to be very specific about the kind of culture that I curated. So, you know, with, with my teams. So, and I say my, because this is like, this is, um, this is the direction that as a empathetic leader, I chose to take the foundation. Um, taking a look at doing Harrison assessments and understanding um, the strengths and weaknesses and communication styles. When um, I first came on board, we have a, a governance, a council that helps with our governance and executive committee. Not all of them spoke English. Some of them were English as a second language, brought in translators on day one so that everyone had the same information at the same time. So it's not just mapping out um, where we're at now. It was also mapping out future needs and the kind of skills that we would need. It's why we brought in Nate. It's why we brought in you know a few other folks. And it's why we will continue to recruit and have the right kind of culture because I wanted more diversity and more people that would bring a new perspective and talent to uh, quite frankly not just to them but to the blockchain ecosystem in general you know I want people that are ethical I want people that are uh, have grit I want people that uh, will go the extra mile that when they fail they'll get back up that are strategic with the way that they think that will uh, be uh, supportive and work together and collaborative. Again, that's not um, that's not what you see necessarily in this space. And I think it's okay to stand up and say, we can do better. I don't wanna be a part of that. I'm gonna create a new kind of culture here 
And then when, when you start to bring people in, really beautiful things can happen. And Nate and the rest of the team have created tools and contributed in meaningful ways because there was an understanding from the very beginning and a strategy. This is the kind of talent we want. This is how all of our talent works together. And this is what we are going to build and do now that we have the talent and the resources in place. It's, it's damn exciting. It, it really does sound extremely exciting. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you can tell, like I'm, um, also passionate about oh, yeah, I'm passionate and everybody knows. And it's kind of interesting because Nate is passionate too. Um, and the rest of the team is, but it shows up in different ways, right? This is, again, this is being, this is my personality, but my personality and how I view contributing to the ecosystem. Um, there is a place for people like me, just as much as there's a place for, you know, traditional developers like Nate, um, who, uh, you know, who you would recognize more in the ecosystem, right? Speaking of the blockchain ecosystem, so our resident blockchain expert hasn't talked too much at SEV, and I know that he's prepared a lot for this interview, a bunch of technical questions. So sure. at SEV, how about you? You take over a little bit from here. Right, so uh, hi guys. So like we have been like heard about them for a really like long time. You guys like have been with the team for a really long time. And like there's this huge debate on like, do you want the code to be on chain or do you want the code to be to be uh, removed from the chain? So companies such as Ethereum and even with the light, like Ethereum and all of like those, they try to have the code on the chain. Like they want to have that code is law philosophy. Whereas with them, what we see is that they want to have code removed from the chain. So like, uh, what like has been your rationale behind this and like where do you think it leads to when we talk about in terms of decentralization when we talk about in terms of centralization of powers distributed computing and like whatnot so uh yeah it's a good question because it's pretty much one of our main mm -hmm. you know differentiators um at least as far as how people uh, use the system right whether it's a private chain or a public chain um, so the easiest way to kind of like uh, attack that question from like our mindset is if, if you think of a pie chart of use cases that might or might not fit on blockchain, um, obviously we're still in the early days and we'll probably discover right. in the next five to 10 years what, you know, it's right now it's a lot of throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. So the last right. three years was everything goes on the blockchain right. and then during crypto winter, it's like, mm, maybe not everything, <laughs> but a lot of stuff should go on blockchain. And then, um, so we'll see what kind of how it shakes out, but our mindset is in that pie chart of use cases that are either really good or kind of good for, for, uh, blockchain and distributed ledgers, um, that the highest percentage do not require or demand a, um, a hundred percent trustless operation between all parties that are interacting on that solution and B, um, a hundred percent decentralization. So in our world that are heavily focused on kind of business use cases and enterprises and the like, while public crypto and asset holders and the cryptocurrency is definitely a core part of the network that powers it in the ecosystem. If you're an enterprise and um, you might have some use cases that require hundred percent, I don't trust anyone I'm working with, with this current right. solution that I'm trying to deploy. 
but the realities are that's typically not the case. Um, you probably have some level of trust, even if it's a consortium that you're working with competitors on. Um, so that, that, that's kind of like the, the foundation of the mindset and approach is while there are some use cases, if you carve it out in a pie chart, it's definitely not over 50% and it's probably under 20% or something, right? Like it's probably like an 80-20 rule where 20 or less are, I don't trust anyone I'm interacting with and um, I need to not trust everyone and have everything 100% decentralized. So um, the next kind of part of, of the mindset is if you think of it from like an enterprise and a company perspective, if you're going through like digital transformation and you're moving to cloud and you're modernizing for mobile and you're moving from monolithic services to microservices, um, it's yet another wedge thrown in your digital transformation to then say, oh, by the way, uh, besides all this other digital transformation planning you're doing, uh, you think you might want to adopt blockchain for distributed ledgers. By the way, um, your engineers need a special skill set and they need to learn specific uh, coding, whether it's Solidity or Viper or other, at least in the terms of the Ethereum world um, or the equivalent on any other like on-chain contract uh, kind of um, system. So when you start looking at it from like an enterprise and just company adoption, um, what would mo be most optimal? Um, I take my current engineers, their current knowledge and expertise on writing backend uh, microservices or monolithic services and web applications and using JavaScript or Python or Java or whatever the language of choice is. Um, they're used to using REST interfaces and cloud services that are in-house as well as third parties. And so that's how our system operates. It gives you all the facilities as a um, smart contract type system, except we just kind of give it to you in this kind of batteries included building block nature. Right. And so we say, hey, we give you on-chain asset management. We give you the ability to control those assets and how they're created and what rules govern them once they are created and um, exist on chain. And then all you do is do what you do, write your normal applications, um, use your normal PKI kind of setup. You're used to managing, you know, uh, encrypted data sources and uh, you know public key infrastructure in general like you've already been doing that for maybe years or decades so yeah. everything is kind of familiar and so when you think of this ongoing digital transformation outside of um, the blockchain and, and ledger adoption that a company might be doing um, it's you're moving the needle very small you say um, hey well you're already managing these apps now you just have to securely manage the key that's doing it and then you're just uh, orchestrating state change, but you have full control. So if you want to update your app in a continuous delivery model, sure, go ahead and do it real time. You can up, you can do 20 deploys a day. You can do 100 deploys a day. Um, uh, with this kind of agile mindset, you're not doing that in a smart contract on-chain world, right. right? Like the notion of migrating uh, a complex uh, nested dependency chain of uh, Solidity smart contracts, you're not updating those you know, 50 times a day. Right. Um, so anyways, all of that kind of rolled into kind of sets the foundation for the mindset. Um, so then when you take that step back, then it's been our job to kind of say, well, what building blocks and this batteries included mindset do we do we and should we include so that you don't have to do anything except use the APIs and, and maintain your key or keys. Um, so that that's kind of rooted in our kind of, I guess you'd say, philosophy of why not custom programming language, why not um, everything's an on-chain contract. We embed the contracts for you and then you just maintain uh, 
the logic outside of it when you orchestrate mm -hmm. the state changes. So yeah, making it easier, right? So a lot of what Nate's talking about is these dependencies, and with our ecosystem, it's it's nice. A lot of it's done done for you, and that's that's the beauty of it. Definitely, like if I were to use the analogy, like you guys are more like Max, where like maybe the Ethereum blockchain is something like a Windows computer. Like it's it's like very modular. You can like plug and play whatever you want to do, but things are more likely to break. Yeah, so I, I've heard. Uh, you know, I I've heard people say, "Oh, it's um, yeah." When we talk to the masses, right? I'm not talking about to developers. I'm saying when we're at trade shows and things like that, and we're talking to people that are just coming in. Um, I always say like, oh, you can do some pretty cool stuff with Ethereum. It's like clay, like it takes a little while to like put it together. It's kind of heavy and there's, you know, but in the end you can do some pretty cool stuff, but NEM is kind of more like Legos, right? You just kind of, yeah. uh, it's pre-templatized and it's really strong and you can build really cool stuff really quickly and it's kind of done for you. The, the end result is you still have, um, you still have things that you're building and creating, but now you can just, use tools that are going to make it easier for you to build faster and securely and customize. And I think that's, I think that's powerful, right? It is. Yeah. And like on the application side of things, like there is this thing that I don't think a lot of the other media companies put a focus on. And is that is that you guys are also uh, helping Ukraine with their uh, voting systems. And now because we live in a society where uh, the, every time a candidate loses elections there are claims of like there was voter fraud and whatnot and like you guys are pretty much the only ones like doing something about it so there is a social aspect to it where like how do you get people to have faith in the blockchain when they clearly do not have faith in paper ballots or in evms and then there is a technological aspect to it like how do you get technologists to believe that such a system cannot be hacked Mm -hmm. You know, I, so um, from a voting, I, I still think in general, the industry is a little premature for to implement, you know, wide scale voting <laughs> using blockchain. That being said, and I'm talking about, you know, massive wide scale, scale you know, across, across governments, right? So when I was at the United Nations, um, speaking in front of, you know, the UN, we, we, this is uh, this was a topic that came up with a lot of the world leaders too that were there, and um, they are doing pilots to see how things are going. Right, you see a lot of this in the United States, and there's um, there's pilots happening. Just like I said, with um, even NEMS NEMS elections, we use our our NEM. Uh, yeah, we have a built-in voting tool, um, but you know, even that, I I take a look at the opportunity to be able to track. Uh, that yes, somebody voted and yes, uh, they voted at this time and it's timestamped and it's documented and you can't falsify it. And, um, it is what it is. And, but there's still, there's still some dependencies there and, and more testing and trials that need to happen. Um, I think that again, I think that, uh, the core developers, Jaguar, Gimra, Bloody Rookie, and the community have done an amazing job at, um, contributing to, the NEM blockchain in a meaningful way where we can have tools like this and we can have these use cases and you're going to see more um, more innovation when mm -hmm. you have tools like this that are are being tested so um, for governments I don't think it's prime time but I think that the pilots are really interesting to see behind the scenes of what's happening we need it now 
exactly and like on the and on the technology like side of things like there is this zero coin uh, protocol as well and like between the two of you guys like i guess like that's 90% or like even 99% of all of the research of like voting on the blockchain so like do you guys have any thoughts on like how to offset like those civil attacks or those 51% attacks which i guess <laughs> most of the blockchains are like susceptible to i mean so Nate, you yeah you want to go yeah, in i mean it, it's it all it's um so i'll give a somewhat specific answer but then kind of also be a little vague and generic so in our world i mean our our tech and protocols rooted in a proof of stake as far as like right. this and um and it works by default um you could almost consider by default it's configured for just raw proof of stake then um through configuration settings um, and borrowing from the version one proof of importance kind of consensus, right. um, you can adapt the consensus to how you see fit based on your use case. So obviously the public network that we'll be launching will operate with a, a certain config and a certain um, consensus behavior with how it's locked in. Um, but so that's where I kind of gave a specific question, <laughs> but then being vague, um, if you say like, hey, we are, um, you know, let's not even talk about like U.S. elections or, you know, U.K. elections or something. Right? Let's talk about like local, like mm -hmm. city council level. And, and someone wanted to do a similar voting style that we're using um, uh, for the NEM ecosystem. Um, they could launch a public chain or they could launch a private chain. And um, and it, it doesn't really matter. You know, functionally, the, the network would be doing the same thing. Um, they could launch a public chain um, or private, still make it auditable. So anyone could like have verifiable data that they would check and download. Um, and then they could configure that network with just tuning a couple knobs um, when they launch it to decide how the consensus works, right? So if you're launching a, a, a six server, six node, as we refer to it, a private network for local city council voting, um, and you're gonna use it once and then archive that data for like historical verification purposes, and then every year stand up a new network, um, you can configure it in a very simplified way that kind of gives you total control over kind of how to protect the network, right? Um, some of that is how to protect the on-chain, uh, like, like what you talked about, like a 51% attack. And some of it is just having IP connectivity. If I run these in a, in a you know, the city council runs it in a, a virtual private cloud setup, no one has connectivity to it. So if they can um, block it off from the world, you, don't, you just need to make sure you're, have secure IT practices, but then you can take that data. And after the fact, should someone dispute, you can say, here's the data that was generated, go ahead and verify it, you know, whether you're a third party or a first party or second, right, doesn't matter. So mm -hmm. um, in our world, that's kind of our mindset. Um, we can kind of operate over this wider spectrum of use cases. Um, mm -hmm. So, and then obviously to Alex's point, we're in the early days, so we'll see how things scale. Uh, <laughs> it was, um, I can't remember which there's like a, I forget what they call them. There's a, it's not a province, but they have a certain name for it. So um, in Russia, um, in the Moscow elections, they picked a particular uh, precinct or province or whatever, and they did a pilot uh, in this past year with um, an e-voting. Um, and so there was a, I think they used something that was EVM based as the underlying technology combined with traditional software. Yeah. Um, how I found out about it was um, as a pilot project, there was some researchers that, uh, uh, discovered several vulnerabilities on it. So they mm -hmm. presented those vulnerabilities at, a, at an applied cryptography conference. So 
Um, it's pretty cool though, right? It's like people are trying these experiments. Um, but we are just like the identity space. It's still early days to getting to like massive scale that's like global level, but um, it's, it's cool, it's exciting. Yeah, and, he, and just, yeah, and just one, one final thought. I think um, there is a lot of speculation around what blockchain can do. And I hear this a lot from our community. Well, tell me about the new projects and this and that, what's building? A lot of people are building hybrid or private right now. I mean, they'll, they'll do testing on public too, but governments and, and these uh, kind of test cases that are happening, they're not all, a lot, some are on NDA, right? They're, they're not being talked about, they're being tested. And when it comes out, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty powerful. We just had the Bank of Lithuania for a year worked on a, a use case on NEM where they have their digital collectible coins and they built it out using the NEM blockchain technology. Happened a year ago, we were on NDA just was announced this past month, right? So I do think that 2020 is gonna bring, um, I think it's, you have some pretty big things happening this year in um, the, the industry. And I think we are gonna see more use cases come out and people start to talk about um, what they've been building. And that to me is, um, that's what I'm, I'm actually looking forward to is seeing, uh, where not just where they succeeded, but where they failed, and how we can improve on on those use cases. Right? Failure is it is it brings forth change. Right, and I guess like they have the right person because like they were talking about digital collectibles, and like you are from a gaming background. Yeah, I'm so, like, like bring on Magic the Gathering <laughs> collectible onto blockchain. Have those you know open open your packs and get like cryptocurrency that's associated with ccgs bring it i want to see that but right now maybe we should just get a couple more use cases before we do that but you know it's exciting definitely like we have heard about it all like this other day i was reviewing the story it was about like how to put your dogs on the blockchain like <laughs> but i don't think my dog well actually <laughs> if you, maybe your pet data like you know I, I i'm one of those weird people that did dna testing on my dog because i was i was like oh i have this kind of dog no i have a pit bull mix oh okay i didn't know i had a pit bull mix all right but you know i'm also one of those weird people that um also did uh 23 and me because um i like adding to um adding to innovation and seeing where it comes from. But yeah, is it for everything? No, but there's pretty, um, pretty interesting use cases, not just specific to them, but I think in the industry um, around everything from um, harvesting eggs, you know, for fertility purposes and using IOT with that. I think that's pretty interesting. I think you're seeing a lot of exciting things happening around AI. Um, and blockchain. I think your uh, cybersecurity, there's a lot of cool stuff happening uh, there. Health too. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think of blockchain and cryptocurrencies, they automatically gravitate to fintech. But yeah. there are so many interesting uh, cases that are happening outside of just the traditional, yeah, yeah, healthcare and fintech. There's some pretty cool stuff in, in the wider you know, purview that, um, that we're starting to see. And, uh, yeah. I'm hoping that we'll see more of it on <laughs> the NEM blockchain. So we're right. approaching the hour mark and I still do have two more questions. One sure. business um, and one just like a more broader um, question uh, of the mm -hmm. space. So uh, my first is um, 
um, and we at Hackanoon, like this morning, just talk about this as well. We had like a 2020 meeting about what we call North Star metric. So something that you like gonna look back, let's say in December 2020 or January of 2021, looking back and be like, if we achieved that, you know, that North Star of the metric, that that must mean that we uh, we must have a really great uh, 2020. So to you, what what is NEM North Star metric right now, and what is the kind of one number or something that like you look back and you can be very proud of that you have achieved that. So that's my first question. And my second is, before I forget, um, is what, to both of you, what do you think you want your legacy um, to be, not in this, not just for them, but just in life? Like, you know, like you, what kind of legacy do you want to leave um, this, Aww, you know, awesome. space with? So... Nate and myself and the, uh, our, I guess, um, executive team have put together company-wide goals. And we have very specific company-wide goals for um, that every single person in the company, they know where their role rolls up to you know, these company-wide goals. So there's a purpose for every everyone, every position, everything that leads up to that company-wide goal is to be you know, the most uh, respected blockchain in the industry. Aspirationally, that's what we're going towards. You know, what that looks like manifests in a lot of different ways. But for me personally, when I take a look at where I would like the company to head, um, you know, I know our developers would like to see a thousand nodes running, right? Keep the, keep the network strong. Um, I want to be able to share success to me looks like when we launched symbol from NEM that uh, it is um, well executed, that it shows the ease of the ease of use and that it proves that there's equally strong alternatives to Ethereum and that people can be smarter about um, the tools that they use to build. So for me, success looks like how many transactions you know, per second on the chain, how many uh, on the public chain, uh, who's using it, because I have specific kind of system integrators that I have in mind that, I, uh, that we're you know, wanting to partner with. And then um, are we as a company delivering on the goals of being you know, the most respected blockchain in the industry? I'm not talking about the best, the most respected. What comes with respect is not just the technology, but it's the people and the, the culture and the governance behind the technology. Um, one of the things I think I want to be remembered for, yeah, I've had a career coach for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I started that very early on. Um, I really, when I look back on my life, I, I want to be able to say, I did this together. I get that I did. I experienced the best of life and went on a journey with a bunch of people and we did these amazing things and look back. So when I look at where I am now leading the NIM Foundation, um, I'm doing it together. That's why I like open source and it's why I, I like uh, why I'm an empathetic leader that likes to work collectively. Um, I want to be remembered as the one that that you could count on and, and do have these amazing experiences with. So that's kind of 
that's that's in the core of who I am. Great. What about you, Nate? Um, as far as yeah, as Alex mentioned, we kind of have some like org trickling down to department and then individual kind of goals for the year and objectives. Um, besides just echoing what she said with, you know, obviously public chain adoption, um, I guess to just highlight a specific one from the tech and product team, um, it would just be, you know, if we can get, I mean, we, we kind of take this continual improvement mindset. Um, so no matter how good you are, you know, you can always be getting better. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so yeah. it's just this continual improvement. And so um, when you put, reflect that back through launching something new and adoption, it goes into how how easy is the tech to understand, whether you are a non-technical person who wants to get some cryptocurrency in the wallet from an exchange or et cetera, what's that experience like? And what's the tech like and how does it function? If you're a highly technical developer or an applied cryptography practitioner and seeing how this platform can be like a tool or a weapon for you and you know, implementing change or whatever. Um, obviously, we're heavily focused on businesses. So, you know, in, in our world, a business should look at um, adopting our technology no different than adopting, hey, we got MySQL, we got Postgres, uh, we got these other cloud services. Hey, this is just another one. You know, there's, let's read the documentation, but it's business as usual. We don't need to, you know, spend 3x uh, on headcounts and train people for six to 12 months. Um, so I guess an artificial metric would be um, uh, in the next year, we, we engage in a, in a decent scale pilot or a large scale pilot with an enterprise that has been in blockchain for several years. And they get to us and they say, somewhere between a half to one order of magnitude um, improvement in their creation and onboarding process, right? So if someone took them six months to onboard on a tiny Ethereum pilot, they should be able to onboard in like six days with us or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, so I, I, at like a kind of artificial metric level, those are things that we would like to see, right? Um, and um, I guess just on a personal level, um, I've been always blessed with, I mean, I was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I've always been, I've always been in the area and I've always been in tech. And, um, and uh, so, I've always just worked on cool projects, uh, you know. So my first jobs out of university were kind of just organic. I got jobs and I worked in them. And then for the last 15 years, I've always been lucky to be able to choose projects. So as far as like less about a legacy than it is, well, I hope for the next 20 years, um, as long as I decide I want to work, which will probably be forever, um, <laughs> I basically get to continue to choose to work on projects with people that are fun to work with, with stuff that's cutting edge. Um, I mean, I'm kind of equally excited and scared because the the rate of change in this first part of my career, the acceleration in the past decade is insane. Mm -hmm. And so if this acceleration curve, as the futurists would tell you, is not going to change, it's going to continue to accelerate. Um, I, it's fun and kind of scary to see like in the next 10 to 15 years, what other opportunities um, to work on cool projects um, that are, you know, uh, life-changing is probably a little too uh, extreme of a way to describe it, you know, because people say, I want to create tech that like changes people's lives. Like, you know, let's say affects people's lives um, for the better or just for the fun, right? Um, so um, the other thing is, is, you know, open source has been around for a while and I became interested in it like pretty early on coming out of university. So being in, you know, 
being lucky enough to work in the origins of the commercial open source software space. Um, I didn't really appreciate it until the past couple of years when it's become like a bigger thing. Um, so like you'll talk to some people that are like, oh, the commercial open source space is this new thing. And it's like, well, it's been around for a couple of decades, but uh, um, it's pretty prevalent, right? So um, it's fun. So like, I think from a ongoing, you know, future legacy perspective, like it's more about, I hope I just get to continue to choose to work on fun projects and work in the, the areas that are most intriguing with fun people. So, yeah. Yeah, this is um, right. this kind of culture that we're, we're trying to attract, right? I'm gonna do a plug though. Um, we're doing our test night right now. We're looking for people like your, your uh, audience to come in and, and break a bunch of stuff that we've made. So we're looking for folks to, to jump into our test net and try things out. So I do hope um, folks will go and check out NIM and check out the latest product that we have, symbol from NIM, and then um, join the movement that Nate and I are, are part of. Um, it's really amazing, it's really fun, and uh, it keeps changing, so it keeps it interesting. Where could people find you on the internet, each of you? Nem.io uh, is the company website. You can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm uh, it's under uh, Alexander Tinsman. And as far as um, Twitter, because you know the whole world is on Twitter right now, um, you can find me at um, inside underscore Nem. Um, I run a a channel, a social media channel where I do videos and talk about the technology too. But so I'm, um, I'm inside underscore NEM to talk about all the inside things with NEM. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Where can people find you, Nate? Um, I'm pretty much, uh, my handle everywhere is Kaizen. So um, you can pretty much, I'm not, I would be partially active on Twitter, depending on week to week. Um, <laughs> mostly about non-crypto stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, I'll just, I mean, obviously, we can send it to you after the fact. But um, yeah, Kaizen is uh, kind of my handle everywhere. So um, and um, yeah, um, as far as the project goes, we're, we have our, our community Slack. So people can find me there, as well as everyone else that's contributing to the ecosystem, all the core devs and whatnot. Um, and then outside of the NEM world, Kaizen is usually the easiest way to hunt me down. Cool. Thank you so much, guys. I think it was a very informative and educational, inspiring, um, you know, conversation with, with both of you. Um, I hope that you get to deliver your message um, a lot to a lot more people and a lot more people will understand um, NEM in the larger context uh, of things. So thank you so much. Yeah, for thanks joining for us. Thanks That's for having a wrap, guys. Super fun. Yeah, thanks, thanks. For us. Mm -hmm. All right. I think we can stop the recording now. <laughs> thanks so much, everybody. Really appreciate it. Cool. Um, and you have the